The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. <coughs> Today is the <coughs> Tuesday the 18th of September 2018 and um, this is the last taste I'll be giving for a while uh, because I'm heading overseas on Thursday for seven weeks and it seemed like a good idea maybe to go back to 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 basics so we're going to be um, looking at a short text um, from Master Dogen um, it's called it's called the um, Fukan Zazengi Which, which translates general recommendations for doing Zazen. And we're taking um, the translation of this text from How to Raise an Ox, um, Zen Practice as Taught in Zen Master Dogen's Shobogenzo, which is um, a translation of, of 10 of the main uh, fascicles of uh, Master Dogen's Shobogenzo. And the translator is Francis Dojin Cook. So we'll just go straight into our text here. The way is essentially perfect and exists everywhere. There is no need either to seek or to realize the way. The truth which carries us along is sovereign and does not require our efforts. Need I say that it excels in this world? Who can believe that the expedient of mirror-wiping is necessary? Essentially, the truth is very close to you. Is it then necessary to run around and search for it? So here in this, in this um, first paragraph, um, Master Dogen is, is presenting this... Um, Very basic teaching in Zen um, that the the truth is is right here. We don't have to go somewhere to find it. Um, and he goes further and says it's not doesn't require our efforts. It's not like our efforts um, are, are causal in our. Um, seeing this truth. He mentions um, who can believe that the expedient of mirror wiping is necessary and this um, is a reference to um, a story that is told about the sixth ancestor Hui Nun. Um, it's told in the Platform Sutra which is um, Huaynung has some 
biographical material that he wrote himself, and then his teachings. I think it's the only text that is called a sutra, which isn't actually uh, coming uh, from the Buddha. And the story is about when Huaynang was um, at the, the monastery of his teacher, Hong Ren, um, the fifth ancestor. And Hong Ren, to, to cut a long story short, Hong Ren invited his monks to each write a verse to express their understanding of um, the Buddha Dharma. And um, most, most, almost all the monks weren't kind of brave enough to give it even a try. But the head monk, uh, Shen Xiu, uh, wrote a verse on the wall um, to express his understanding. And his verse goes like this. The body is the tree of wisdom, the mind but a mirror bright. At all times diligently polish it to remain untainted by dust. And um, some translations in that last line says the body is the Bodhi tree, so the tree under which the Buddha came to awakening, or the, the tree of wisdom. So in this, in this verse by um, the head monk, he refers to this um, diligently polishing the mirror, so to keep it free of dust. And the dust often refer to the, um, um, our reactions to the diff different kinds of senses that we have. Sometimes referred to the sense dusts. So this is the, the, the verse he put up, wrote, wrote it on a wall, and then um, Hui Nung, who was um, illiterate at this stage, a, a sort of southern yokel who'd come to, come to this monastery, wasn't even ordained yet, and um, he had had an awakening experience on hearing the, um, a line from the Diamond Sutra, uh, arouse the mind without its abiding anywhere. And then he had come to seek out um, a teacher after this experience um, so that he could deepen his understanding. So he had arrived at the temple and been sent to work in the kitchen. And because he was illiterate, he had to ask one of the other monks to read him the verse. and. Um, that the, that the head monk had written, and then he, he found somebody to write on the wall uh, his own response to this verse. And so his response was, the tree of wisdom fundamentally does not exist, nor is the stand, there a stand for the mirror. Originally, there is not a single thing, so where would the dust alight? So he's, um, he's presenting um, a view which is, is very much akin to the one that, um, that Dogen is uh, expressing here. But with this emphasis on, on um, there not being a single thing Originally, there is not a single thing. So where could the dust alight? So it's not that we, um, we have to, to polish 
the mirror of the mind in, in order to um, make this mirror untainted by dust, but that the dust itself needs to be seen through as having no substance to it. There's an emphasis in this the school of of um, of Hui Nung's on um, sudden nature of insight that that um, this the insight comes without our contrivance. We don't. It's not something that we that we um, can conjure up for ourselves. That's what Dogen is saying when he's saying the, the truth which carries us along is sovereign and does not require our efforts. But then, but then Dogen continues, even so, if there is the slightest error there is a gulf as great as that between heaven and earth. And again, this line refers to um, an old Zen text, one that we chant regularly, Affirming Faith and Mind, where it says, but even slight distinctions made set earth and heaven far apart. Or in some versions, are as far apart as earth and heaven, which is what Master Dogen has here. So even though it's this, this true nature is, is so intimate with us that um, it exists everywhere, there's nowhere where it isn't, if we're, if we're mistaken about it, then it's very far from us, unreachable. He goes on, if so much as a thought of agreeable or disagreeable arises, one becomes confused. This is the, 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 the picking and choosing that, we, that is talked about in Firming Faith and Mind. You see something as being agreeable, uh, 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 agreeable and we immediately we want to hold on to it. We see something we dislike, we experience something unpleasant, and immediately we want to get rid of that, we want to reject it. And this is this this habit is is deeply ingrained in us Dogen goes on for instance you may feel proud in your comprehension or you may feel prosperous in achieving satori in other words you may feel like you've gained something that you're now rich in a way that you weren't before And, and in using this word satori, um, usually we, we distinguish between, we use satori for deep awakening, not necessarily an initial awakening. I'm not sure what, what, um, what is in the original here from Dogen. So these, these thoughts arise and then of course we're a thousand miles away from the truth. 
He says, even if you acquire Satori in the blink of an eye, acquire the way and enlighten your mind, and you feel as if you could assault heaven itself and charge into the Dharma as if on a mere saunter, you may shortly lose the way of dropping off the body. Um, the way of dropping off the body is the way that Master Dogen talks about when we forget ourselves. Um, in other words, when this, our sense of a separate self um, drops away. So these habits, even though we can have an insight, um, these habits of, of uh, delighting in the agreeable and, and disliking the uh, unpleasant still remain. And that's where the other side of this, this um, coin comes in, that to, to dissolve these, these habits takes much effort and much persistence. So, um, from another point of view, from from um, the perspective of our of our habit patterns, um, we do need to do some diligent polishing. Um, if we're to see with this bright mirror of the mind. These, um, these two points of view, um, the one of, of, of Hui Nang, of there's never been a single thing, there's nowhere to, no, um, nowhere to nothing to polish and nowhere to go on the one hand, and on the other hand, that um, we have to diligently uh, polish our minds to keep it clear. It's kind of exists as a as a creative tension within within the Zen tradition. It's like a, um, um, a a constant kind of finding the the middle way between these these two truths, these two sides of of the truth. And they're very closely related to what was Master Dogen's natural koan. As a, as a, a young monk, he was gripped by a question. And the question that 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 just uh, perplexed him was, if this, as the sutras say, we're all endowed with the Buddha nature, um, why is it that we have to train so strenuously to realize it? Why is it so uh, hard? Why is it, is, does it require so much work? And the the um, the outcome of this, his long search of going to, to um, all the way to China to train, um, in the end, um, he was when he came back and after he'd had his this great awakening, um, under his uh, Chinese master, uh, he was to to really emphasise non-grasping, if you to sum it up in, in, in two words, you say non-grasping effort. So he emphasized effort, but at the same time that it had to be an effort, effort without grasping.
he said um, he said this about about exertion, and many of you will have heard this because it's it's a it's a quote we've we've um, re repeated many times. He said, "The great way of the Buddhas and ancestors involves the highest form of exertion, which goes on unceasingly in cycles from the first dawning of religious truth through the test of discipline and practice to enlightenment and nirvana." This sustained exertion is not something which the worldly love or desire, yet it is the last refuge of all. It is through the sustained exertions of the Buddhas and ancestors that our own exertions are made possible, that we are able to reach the high road of truth. In exactly the same way, it is through our own exertions that the exertions of the Buddhas are made possible, that the Buddhas attain the high road of truth. This exertion too sustains the sun, the moon and the stars. So suddenly this, what we might think of as our own um, personal efforts, um, link us to the efforts of all the Buddhas and ancestors. Without our efforts, their efforts are, are meaningless for us. And then beyond that again, to see the efforts we make as, as human beings in this world as not in, in any fundamental way uh, different from the exertions of the planets and the stars. We're all part of this, this single vast web of existence and uh, giving ourselves to that process um, is what we're what we're here for really um, another way of understanding this is is um, that really what we're doing in our zazen is learning to get out of our own way. Um, another way of thinking of it is to shed the different masks that we identify as being ourselves. To take off the masks so that our, our original face is revealed. And this is one of the, the, the fundamental koans that is, 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 can be taken up. What was my face before my parents gave birth to me? What was my original face? What, what is our original face? It's another way of saying, who am I? then proposes the question, how may one now perceive the traces of that one of Jetavana, that means the Buddha, who saw all things as they truly are with his own enlightened nature and yet still did Zazen for six years? Or the fame of that one of Shaolin Temple, in other words, Bodhidharma, 
who transmitted the mine seal from India and who for nine years sat still facing a wall in meditation. So how, how can we, um, how do we interpret and, and take to heart these examples of the Buddha and Bodhidharma? And in here, Master Dogen seems to suggest that the Buddha sat for six years after his great awakening. In other words, he kept, kept on practicing He says, if this was true of ancient worthies, people of today must also exert themselves. For this reason you must suspend your attempts to understand by means of scrutinizing words, reverse the activity of the mind which seeks externally, and illuminate your own true nature. Mind and body will fall off spontaneously and your original face will be revealed. If you wish to achieve such a thing, you must exert yourself in this matter at once. So, um, understand, um, without scrutinizing words, so practice involves a different way of, of um, using the mind not trying to figure things out um, but but turning the mind the light of the mind back on itself um, master Hongzhou talked about tracing back the radiance For Zazen you will need a quiet room. Eat and drink in moderation. Forget about the concerns of the day and leave such matters alone. Forget about concerns of the day. This, uh, this can be hard. But If we can learn to do this, if we can um, set, set down those concerns, uh, it can be a great relief. Do not judge things as good or evil and cease such distinctions as is and is not or for that matter, has and has not. Halt the flow of the mind and cease conceptualizing, thinking and observing. Don't sit in order to become a Buddha, because becoming a Buddha has nothing to do with such things as sitting or lying down. It's, um, you can make the mistake of um, Thinking there's something special about about um, sitting, and we can have a kind of magical thinking about if we get into this posture, 
then that's all there is to it. Uh, but that this is a mistake. We, it is true that it's, it's, it's sitting is probably for most people, not all, but for most people, the easiest position in which to calm the mind. But there's not something magical about being in the sitting posture. There's a famous story about this. Um, it's a story about Baso um, and his teacher, uh, Nangaku. Baso is Matsu in, in Chinese. Nangaku is, is Nanyue, Huairang. And um, uh, Baso was, um, was practicing um, doing Zazen a lot. And um, at a certain point, Nangaku came up to him and said, what are you trying to attain by sitting? And um, Basu replied, replied, I'm trying to become a Buddha. And then at some point, sometime after that, um, in, the, in the presence of, of, of Basu, Nangaku picked up a, a roof tile, so a terracotta roof tile, and he started, he started um, rubbing it, and and Basso was puzzled. So he asked, he asked his um, teacher, "What are you doing?" And then Nangaku said, "I'm I'm polishing it, polishing it to make a mirror." And of course, Basso said. What? You can polish all you want, but you'll never make make a mirror out of a, a roof tile. And Nangaku replied, "And you'll never become a Buddha f by sitting." This is um, a, sort, a story that's told in the in the Three Pillars of Zen, and it's it's worth just continuing with um, what comes after this. So um, Baso says, how could polishing a tile make a mirror? And Nangaku replies, how could sitting in Zazen make a Buddha? And then Baso asks, what should I do? And Nangaku replies, if you were driving a cart and it didn't move, would you whip the cart or whip the ox? Baso didn't reply. And Nangaku continued, are you training yourself in Zazen? Are you striving to become a sitting Buddha? If you are training yourself in Zazen, let me tell you that the substance of Zazen is neither sitting nor lying down. If you're training yourself to become a sitting Buddha, let me tell you that Buddha has no one form such as sitting. The Dharma, which has no fixed abode, knows, allows of no distinctions. If you try to become a sitting Buddha, this is no less than killing the Buddha. If you cling to the sitting form, you will not attain the essential truth. Upon hearing this, Masu felt as refreshed as though he had drunk exquisite nectar. If you cling to the sitting form, you will not attain the essential truth. Now, 
somebody who's been sitting for many years um, has lately been unable to uh, do any sitting at all um, and in order to in order to find a way forward with his practice um, he's going to have to find another way to do his practice because physically right now um, it's not possible for him to sit for any length of period of time and uh, all of us we don't know um, how long we'll be able to um, do this sitting practice none of us know that things can change instantly we can't rely on our body um, to, to uh, do what we we might want it to do but but even before that before uh, perhaps being limited in our choices about how to practice um, to to rely on the on the, the sitting the, the sitting form is um, to it's not to be um, connected to the source it's it's whipping the cart rather than 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 uh, whipping the the uh, the ox. In the room which you use for Zazen, spread some thick mats and place a firm round pillow on them. Sit on the pillow with your legs crossed in either the full lotus or the half lotus position. And then he goes into just a, a, a sort of um, the technic, technical side of, of how to sit in the lotus posture. posture. Um, The lotus posture is ideal, but um, the what's behind that posture is uh, the, is more important than, than again within the form itself. And the point about it is to sit in a stable way. That's what really counts, um, and to be able to sit uh, upright and to be still. Loosen your clothes and belt and arrange them neatly. Next, place your right hand palm up on top of your left foot and place your left hand palm up on the palm of your right hand. P both thumb tips should touch lightly. Um, interesting here that he mentions arrays, uh, arranging your, your clothes neatly. Um, having having order around us when we sit can be can be helpful. It can support the practice. If if everything's uh, a mess, then that can uh, affect our minds. Though though ultimately we'd want to be able to sit in any conditions at all. The bringing the bringing of our hands and our feet together at the center of the body. Um, mirrors what we're, we're attempting to do with the mind, to bring the mind to one-pointedness.
Now regulate your posture so that you are sitting properly, leaving neither, leaning neither to the left nor to the right, forward nor backward. Looked at from the side, your ears and shoulders should be in a straight line, and from the front, your nose will be in a direct line with your navel. Um, it's worth it's worth working towards um, being being very straight um, in this plane through the nose and the belly button, and uh, if as much as possible not leaning to one side or another just because if we're um, our alignment is is off a little bit then it won't be as sustainable we won't be able to sit for um, such long periods of time that we might want to um, because because we'll be setting up the body for for uh, aches and pains if we're having to to um, hold ourselves up more. So it's just a simple practical thing um, and, and it also um, affects the, the, the energy flow in the body. So um, again if we're, if we're um, a bit asymmetrical and uh, then the, the, the energy won't flow as freely through the body as can be helpful. He says, when your body posture is correct, breathe in and out. Um, and I would suggest this, and, and deeply, um, to do this a few times when we first sit down to, to kind of settle the mind. Um, but, but after that, those initial few breaths, not to be controlling the breath in any way. Sway r left and right several times and then sit firmly and resolutely. So this is this swaying from side to side when you first sit down um, like like a sort of like a, a pendulum in a, in a um, grandfather clock um, just helps us find that that center point so that you sway in smaller and smaller arcs until you find that point of balance. Uh, then sit firmly and resolutely. Think about the unthinkable. How do you think about the unthinkable? Do not think. These are the essentials of Zazen. Think a better translation that appears in some other versions of this is um, think non-thinking. So if there's, if there's one thing in the mind that you're keeping in the mind, it's um, to release whatever thoughts arise. To keep on releasing whatever comes into the mind. With, with time and with the right conditions, the mind will, will settle. It does require um, a lot of patience because of, of course as soon as we get impatient with ourselves um, that's generating more disturbance in the mind. So we've got to become very um, 
resolute, as he says here, resolute and firm. He continues, what that which we call Zazen is not a way of developing concentration. It is simply the comfortable way. Because it does, it does develop concentration, but um, it's not limited to that. That's not the, not the central purpose. He says it's simply the comfortable way. Um, we're not going to keep on doing the practice unless we find some ease in the in the in our uh, in our sitting in our minds so we can we can um, trust that that um, the ease that that we can find in the physical posture will will support um, the investigation that we undertake with the mind or the or the attention that we pay with the mind we talk about um, um, body and mind not being two. We can work we can work at, at developing this ease from the from the mental side and or from the physical side. continues it is practice which measures your satori to the fullest and is in fact satori itself that this sitting here like as we all are now sitting upright and still at ease open heart is in fact an expression of our Buddha nature, expression of our, our innate enlightenment. It is the manifestation of the ultimate reality and in it you will no longer be trapped as in a basket or a cage. If you understand my meaning and do Zazen correctly, you will be like a dragon who has reached the water or like a tiger who trusts in the mountain where he dwells. Know that the true Dharma itself is present there in Zazen and that confusion and distraction are eradicated right from the beginning. These images of the, of the, um, the dragon in the water and the tiger on the mountain are ways of, of bringing to life a sense of, of coming home, of being at home in our body, in this place, in the midst of whatever's going on in our minds.
When you get up from Zazen, move quietly and slowly. Do not make violent movements. When we contemplate the past, we observe that transcending both the sacred and the profane, or such things as dying while in Zazen or while standing, which the old masters did, come about through this power. So he mentions these different things that the masters did, like um, uh, they could, um, when time came for them to die, they would sit in Zazen or stand and then, and then die before their students as a, as a form of teaching. He's saying that this, this ability or these, these um, powers came out of the sense of, of being at home in one's, in one's skin in one's life. It is even more difficult to explain with words and analysis how the ancient masters could seize upon the crucial moment which brought about Sartori and a disciple by pointing a finger, using the tip of a pole, a needle or a mallet, and give encouragement with the hosu, a fist, a stick or a shout. So these are all the different things we read about in the stories of the, of the masters knowing that the, the moment um, uh, at which to um, give some kind of uh, often called a turning word though it's, it's, it's very frequently not an actual word but an action expressing the truth with all these different things How can supernatural powers explain practice and enlightenment? Practice and enlightenment are the majestic deportment of the body beyond the sights and sounds of this world. What can they be other than the Dharma, which is prior to understanding and analysis? So these, these different action, actions, whether it's with the stick or the shout or the mallet, um, they're always the Dharma. prior to understanding and analysis. Such being the case, there is no question here at all of being intelligent or stupid, nor is there any difference between the quick-witted and the dull. If you exert yourself single-mindedly, this is practicing the way itself. Practice and realization leave not a trace of impurity, and the person who advances in the way is an ordinary person. Um, this, is, this is a message that um, many of us need to hear again and again, because we may, we may feel um, that we're um, stupid or dull or just um, not cut out for this. Um, but Master Dogen reminds us that, that um, these different ways that we categorize ourselves are, um, are irrelevant in, in, in the sense that we're all equally endowed with true nature.
you can't avoid true nature. It's like trying to avoid the ground when you when you put your hand down to it. The person who advances in the way is an ordinary person. That's that's actually um, what we become is ordinary. An ordinary person doing ordinary things. I think it was Cohen Yamada Roshi who used to say, um, nothing distinguishes the enlightened person. This world or other worlds, India or China, all equally preserve the seal of the Buddha. Um, it's the Buddha's um, the Buddha mind, you could say. He who adheres exclusively to the customs of Zen practices Zazen only, doing nothing but sitting resolutely on the ground. You may hear of 10,000 distinctions or a thousand differences, but just do Zazen earnestly and make an effort in the way. Um, 10,000 distinctions and 1,000 differences, all the different types of practice that, um, methods that there are um, around. You don't need to abandon your own sitting place and just for the amusement of it, go off to some other country. If you err by a single step, you will lose the way. Actually, of course, Dogen himself um, went off to another country, though not for just for amusement, because he but because he was um, sincerely seeking answers to his his questions. But when when he came back, um, when he came back to Japan, somebody asked me asked him what he had learned and he said uh, that my eyes are horizontal and my nose is vertical. So something that was there all along, he had to go to China to find it. Now you have acquired the essential which is a human form. This, this is something that the Masters repeat again and again. The, the importance of recognizing the, the value uh, and the opportunity that we have uh, having been born uh, in this, in, as human beings. To have this body-mind that is, is um, so suitable for practice. We have intelligence, we have self-awareness, and we have suffering. We have that, that sand and the oyster that forms the pearl, this, the, the dukkha. Do not pass over from the light to the shadow by pursuing other matters. 
otherwise getting caught up in things that are not so um, essential as as um, being born a human being and, and having the potential to awaken. Take care of this essential instrument of the Buddha's way, this body-mind of ours. Take care. We need to take care of it. Could you really be content with a spark from a stone when the blazing sun is shining? We can, we often, we often take different things in our lives to be the source of our happiness or um, what's most important. And, and these things that, that we mistalk, mistake for the ultimate um, blind us to seeing the whole. So we see just a little spark um, rather than um, turning towards the, the, the light of the blazing sun, the whole. And we often settle for that, that little spark. Um, the whole of, of, um, of Dante's um, Purgatorio, um, he saw as the way, all the different ways in which human beings mistook some small part of God's creation for God himself. All the things that we experience are, are Buddha nature, but if we get attached and latch onto any, any one part of that um, vast array, then um, our world is narrowed down. And that is not all. Your body is like dew on the grass. Your life is as brief as a flash of lightning. Momentary and vain, it is lost in an instant. Last month, I don't know why, but um, I seem to have heard of, of um, more than usual number of people who have died. An old, an old teacher of mine, um, say old, um, not that much older than me actually, um, suddenly um, passed away and several others too. Um, and I guess as we get older <laughs> we, we, um, we tend to hear more about, about friends of people we'd known um, dying. I entreat you who practice in the splendid tradition of Zen, do not grope around as if you were a group of blind people trying to determine what an elephant is, or be in doubt when you see a real dragon instead of false ones. Um, people probably know of the story about the, all the different blind people who, who touch different parts of the elephant and describe it as being, it's like a tree trunk, no, it's like a rope, uh, oh, it's like a wall. Um, so none, uh, again, uh, they're seeing only one small part of the picture. And then the second story he mentions here is of a guy who used to paint dragons. He was an artist and he painted dra dragons, beautiful dragon pictures. But then a real dragon came 
and he almost um, died of fright and didn't even recognize it as being a dragon. Just persevere in the simple way which has been indicated for you so directly. Value those beings who have protected their, perfected their own practice and have finished what was to be done. If you conform to the enlightenment of all the Buddhas, you will become an heir to the samadhi of the Zen ancestors. If you practice like this for a long time, you will surely become like them. The precious treasury will open its doors all by itself and the treasure will be yours to use as you wish. So our time is up. We'll just um, um, say a very little bit about this line. I think probably the most important part of this part that I just read you now is where it says, if you practice like this for a long time, you will surely become, become like, them, like them. To, to practice for a long time, to practice um, essentially um, in an open-ended way where we don't limit um, what we do to a certain um, length of time but really just practice in, in, with the spirit of um, the spirit of whatever it takes. Just finish with um, Yamada, Cohen mentioned a bit earlier, um, he um, had a, a very a deep awakening um, that, that was one of the things, and he wrote a letter about it, um, and this letter became an inspiration for Roshi Kaplow when he was setting out, out um, on his uh, practice journey in Japan. And um, he asked the question um, when he met um, Yamada um, of the group, he said, he asked about whether it was possible to attain enlightenment in a single session. And after, um, after Yamada had this experience, and he, he wrote a letter um, to, um, I think it was to, to um, Soen Roshi, um, he said, he said, um, that American was asking whether it is possible for him to attain enlightenment in one week of a session. Tell him this for me. Don't say weeks, years, or even lifetimes. Don't say millions or billions of kalpa, so eons. Tell him to vow to attain enlightenment, though it take the infinite, the boundless, the incalculable future. Tell him to attain enlightenment even though it take the infinite, the boundless, the incalculable future. This is the, this is the kind of um, attitude we need that, that goes beyond these two sides of um, wiping the mirror clean versus sudden awakening. Um, drops, drops expectations of a certain revolt, result and just makes the effort that we can make, the best effort that we can make. There's a saying in the in the Lojong teachings in Vajrayana Buddhism, um, uh, drop all expectation of fruition. Intimately 
tied up in that that it, um, expectation of of fruition is um, a sense of having to move from where we are now to some other place, and that's actually what we need to drop. That that sense of of trying to grasp at something, but instead um, turning the mind back to regard itself, to look upon itself. It's like going, it's, you could say it's a little bit like going from a straight line way of, of thinking um, to a circle. That straight line curls back on itself and meets itself and eventually recognizes itself. Ah, ah, so that's it. So that's it. So, that's it. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.org. Auckland Zen dot org dot NZ